I did this the other day. I've put this together several times, but I, I did this the other day. This is not any kind of hardship or, or uh, intended to be difficult for anybody, but I was reminded of the scripture in Psalm chapter 39 that says this. So, in Psalm 39, verse 4, uh, David writes, and he says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end, or the length of my days, and, and the numbering of my days, and let me see how fleeting my life is. Let me see how fleeting my life is. There, I know some folks didn't get it. If y'all go ahead and pass those out and make sure everybody gets it. I, I, want, I want us... This was eye-opening to me, okay, <laughs> for me. What I've done is I mapped out 80 squares across the top, and then I put bonus years. If we're close to bonus years, if you're living bonus years, say, thank you, Jesus. And, uh, you know, folks are living longer, healthier lives these days, so we praise the Lord for that. If anybody needs more than 100 boxes, then go ahead and add them in there. If you just feel like you'd like to do that because you feel inspired, feel like the Lord promised you those days, then go ahead and add in more than 100 boxes. But I'm not sure how you are in your life. The, the, uh, the psalmist said here, let me know how fleeting my life is. Are y'all like me that the longer you live, time, I mean, some of y'all look at me and say, you whippersnapper. And some of you look at me, the younger ones look at me and say, man, he's getting on up there. Um, I'm in between. But every year moves faster and faster and faster. I'm not sure if that's because our reference point, it, it, we've got more time behind us. So that one year, the 365 days seems like a shorter period of time because we've already been through that many more. But it does seem like the clock is spinning faster and faster and faster, doesn't it? Yes. Does anybody here have things that are in their life that are unfinished? Things that you need to set in order. Things that if you get to your last day and you step across into eternity and you haven't made that phone call, if you haven't signed that piece of paper, if you haven't put that piece of the puzzle in place that you're going to feel undone, I left something unfinished. Maybe God put a vision in your heart to accomplish something for him and you've had the convenience of time and thinking, well, one day... One day I'll get to that. I just want to remind you, our time here is fleeting. We don't know what tomorrow holds. So I want to encourage you to go through and, and mark. I highlighted mine for y'all so y'all can see from the back. Hey there. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what 53 years looks, looks like. Look, if 70 is right here, I've got 17 years left to accomplish. If God gives me 80 years, then praise the Lord, hallelujah, I've got more time to do. If God extends that on that. But folks, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, David, it's time to get serious about what God put you on the earth for. Don't be content with just being good. Be about your father's business. What does God have us here for? Not just so that we are able to make it through life and we can be 
be satisfied and that our needs will be met. God's got things he needs to be that need to be accomplished. So I encourage you to take the uncomfortable journey and uh, mark that and think about it. Have you already done that? Anybody taken a pen and marked it out yet? Anybody done that? It's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering. Don't be distraught by it. Be mission-minded about it. Think about the things that need to be done and make time for it. Do the important things. All of us have things to just fill our time. Do the most important things. Would you, if you've got your pen and your paper, go, go ahead and look back at that thing and see, circle when you first gave your life to the Lord. Mark out that year. Circle that year so you can determine when it was that you gave your life to the Lord. That may be significant for some of you. For me, I mean, I know that I didn't have a full understanding of it, but for me, when I first time I ever walked down the aisle with full intention and full understanding of what I was intending to do, even though I had limited understanding of the scope and the ramifications of all of it, I was at a church, a full gospel church in Bulawayo, uh, Zimbabwe, and uh, this... <laughs> And they gave an altar call, and I was three years old, and I was the only one that hit the aisle that day, but I walked from the back of the church all the way down to the front with a three-year-old mind wanting to give my life to Jesus. And I don't know how a three-year-old even thinks about that, but I remember making a dedication. It was sincere, even though we know that it was limited understanding at that time. And if I start at three years old, that means that for five decades I've been serving the Lord. And yet I look at that and I'm like, but Lord, there's so much that's still undone. Even, even with the things that I have been very dedicated in, I look at myself and I'm, I'm like, you've been content in some areas to be good. Being content, but yet not necessarily being in pursuit the way that you could have pursued. There's more. There's more that God's put in my life that have not been accomplished, been accomplished yet. So would you turn with me to... Uh, Colossians chapter 1. It is now 11.21. I don't want anyone to panic. Though we might be needing to panic. <clears throat> There's such an amazing... I, I, this, this week, I, for better or for worse, some may think it was a waste of, your, a waste of my time, but I got to, to, I watched, I've shared this with some of you, but I watched a documentary from the BBC about, about drug addiction in the United States. And it was talking specifically about the drug fentanyl, which is 50 times stronger than, than heroin, but it is becoming not only the drug of choice, but as being a drug that's being uh, pushed into other drugs to create a greater high and a greater hook for people who are getting immersed in, in drugs. And uh, this documentary done by the BBNC, I posted it on Facebook, so if some of you do Facebook, you could go there if you wanted to see it. It's not a Christian documentary or anything like that, but it was a very good, a very powerful documentary. And uh, it talked about the I-95 corridor as being one of the greatest means of trafficking it from Miami to, to Maine and that how up and down Highway 95 that this drug fentanyl is being distributed and the impact it's having on lives. And, and I was just caught by that and, and realized this is our backyard, folks. 
This is our backyard, and from North Carolina, they've got a gateway east-west on Highway 40. And so North Carolina is not immune to these things. And I got to, the thing that really struck me in the documentary was the hopelessness of the people who were hooked on these drugs. Some of them had no light into their life. Some of them just said, I, I, I don't see any way out of this. I, I don't know how to live any different. I don't have any prospects to do anything different. So they were just not only ensnared by the addiction, but ensnared by the hopelessness that they had in their life. And then I turned around yesterday and saw an article, and it said, it was talking about human trafficking. And I know this may not sound spiritual to it. I find it deeply spiritual. It talked about human trafficking. Guess which country in the world has, is the, the greatest, has the greatest number of human... Uh, I'm not saying that well. But there's, which country has the most human trafficking in the world? The United States has more human trafficking than any other country in the world. The United States has the, has, is, the great, great, is more greatly involved in the sex trade than any other nation in the world. We, peop, there are people from the United States that travel to other countries on sex tourism that the pornography industry in our nation, they said that, within, that in, um, in uh, the foster homes, that between 50 to 60% of the kids in foster homes will end up being involved in the sex trade and human trafficking. We should be shocked. We should be shocked. Our nation needs to turn back to the Lord. If we think it's just going to go away or we can turn a blind eye to it, what ends up happening is that there are multitudes of people that are being more deeply ensnared and being hurt. They're being broken. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ Jesus. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross, through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your, your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from any ac accusation. He said, if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. So, I, I think, I know I've experienced this. Living a healthy life is an amazing thing. To be able to go through life and just be healthy and not have any kind of physical concern. There have been times in my life when if I wanted to climb a mountain, I'd go climb a mountain. If I wanted to ride the bicycle, I'd go ride the bicycle. If I wanted to do some kind of physical feat, pick something up that was there within reason, I was going to pick it up. 
And then I went through a day where my health was not that strong. And any one of those things could have brought serious harm to me, potentially even death, because I was going through a health crisis. I didn't understand how difficult it was to be suffering physically until I didn't have my health. And now I thank the Lord that I'm strong again. Thank the Lord. As I have matured, there have been different aches and pains that came in this joint and that joint. And I had one hip that hurt for a while, and then it got better. And the other hip hurt for a while. It got better. I had one arm that hurt. My elbow hurt for a while. I went for about a year with this elbow where I could hardly push the button on my telephone. I'd injured it somehow, and it got better. Then the other elbow started hurting, and I went for about three months with that one, and I learned the, the magic of icing down a sore or something. And uh, that recovered real quickly along with prayer. And there's been little things like that that I never had to think about the ache and the pain and the difficulty until all of a sudden I found myself in a condition where it hurt. Well, folks, there are a lot of us that you, we may not be familiar with what it's like for people to be ensnared in sin or ensnared in, in uh, uh, some type of addiction because of the fact that we've been blessed with never having walked down that road. But that doesn't mean that we are immune or, or uh, excused from being able to share the hope that we have in Christ. I know I talk about this all the time. But I don't know if we really realize how powerful and how potent the message of the gospel, the good news. Gospel is not really communicating. The good news of Jesus Christ is to someone that doesn't have hope. And God's given it. Look, we, God, who at one time when we were completely separated from him, whether we were goody two-shoes or not, in our own eyes, God intervened on our behalf and reconciled ourselves to him. I'm glad that God didn't just, wasn't just caught up in running the universe and forgot about us. I'm glad that he intervened. We need to be infected with that same passion for people that need the gospel that we have. Every one of us, if you're out and about every day, we're coming across people that need Christ. They need the gospel that's inside of us. Would you turn to Romans chapter 5? Let's not forget this. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to challenge something in us, myself included, that we be careful how we look at people and how we value people. Now, I'm saying this because I feel like it's pertinent to the body of Christ and I feel like it's pertinent to us, but when I look at our church family, I, I know that, oh my goodness, I esteem so many of us. I'm going to say it's hard for me to say that without seeming like I'm leaving somebody out, and I don't mean to do that. But I think of 
you as such good examples in the faith with regards to loving God, determined to live for the Lord, you're sharing your faith with people in the things that you do. But I want to challenge us in this because I think we, need, we, we all need this because we're human. That we don't, we make sure that we don't devalue people. That we don't look at some people and say, well, whether we're consciousness conscious of our thought process or not that we don't look at some people and say well they are less than they're not they're not really desirable so let's just step around them I was really impressed by seeing a, a lady who she had lost her own son to addiction and what did she do? She, this was down in Florida, she turned around and she started an outreach to street people. And there were people coming up, had tracks up their arms, you know, you could tell that they, some of them were homeless. You know that if they're living out on the street, there's not availability of a shower and a bar of coast soap. That was a reach, uh, something from the past, wasn't it? <laughs> They don't have the availability of those sanitary things to be able to help them out. But this lady prepared meals, and there were people coming up off the street. You could tell that they were in a bad way, but you know what she would do? She'd hug them. She'd love on them. And you know what? Some of those people would just wrap up in that, that hug. You could tell. They, they felt loved. They felt valued. I don't know how, how many people can walk past you or look down at you or make a ugly comment to you and it not just crush your spirit but folks somehow it's human nature that we have a way of categorizing and dividing and pigeonholing people and putting someone over here in this box in this category and, and we just separate people out and somehow we embrace certain people and other people we just would rather to be honest just do without and put them aside I'm so glad that God didn't do that for us or with us. God looked through time and he looked to wherever he found us and he valued us and loved us. It says here in this, this passage, he demonstrated his own love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he goes on, we'll read verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood... How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Can I put a new perspective on this? I don't know if you've looked at it this way. I've heard this scripture tons of times through my life. But it says that while we were sinners, we were reconciled to, to God by his death. Just think about that. We were out of relationship with God. We didn't have any kind of place in, in God's provisions, God's covenant, God's, God's blessing as far as his household. And God, by Jesus' death, brought us into relationship with him. He reconciled us, gave us that opportunity. But he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And he says, how much more through the life of Jesus it's not just that we're being brought up from being dead, but that life that he's living, we've been called to embrace and to live with him. There's power in the life of Jesus, not just his death. 
And that's a part of our heritage as well. What does that mean to us? I mean that there is a living Savior that His Holy Spirit's been given to us. It's not just that He's trying to, there's so many churches that you just are barely saved and you better get it fresh every Sunday. You know, you kind of wonder if you've made it again, but God wants us to get beyond that as believers. Folks, we're not just sinners just barely getting in the doorway of salvation or just barely getting into God's household. Now God wants us to live as his children in the earth, manifesting his presence and power, sharing the good news that God's given us and raising up sons unto himself that we would become disciples of him. We become reflections of his character and his nature as we live out the life of Christ. That's what we've been called to. There's a lot of folks that are in church and they are still looking to know that they've been accepted. This, verse goes, this passage goes on in verse 11. Not only... Is this so, but we also rejoice in God through, Lord, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received reconciliation. Not one day. We have received reconciliation. I just feel peace running all over right now. I've, I'm reconciled. To my heavenly Father. Have you ever had a, a severed relationship and there was that nagging hurt of the brokenness of it? There's reconciliation. And with regards to our relationship with God, we can have peace with that. If the enemy is still beating you up and making you question whether or not there's peace between you and God, I guess I'll challenge in two areas. I'd, I'd, number one, that you receive what Christ has provided for you and understand that. If there seems to be some kind of, of breach in fellowship, if I were to split hairs, I'd say it's not a breach in relationship your identity and who you are in him, but the breach in fellowship, it is possible to have a breach in fellowship because there's something going on in your life that may be causing a wedge. And there may be some area of your life or something that you're dealing with that you might need to take before the Lord and ask God to, to show you. I, I, I talked last week and, and let, I was letting folks know that last Saturday... I prayed and asked the Lord, I said, Lord, would you show me if there's anything in my life that is not right, that I need an area I need to work on, something that's displeasing to you? Saturday night, God showed it to me with neon lights. And I'm like, Lord, that was so quick. That didn't take long at all. I mean, it was very, it was painfully blatant to me that there was something that God was not happy with. And I just realized, Lord, I just, it was soft decisions, you know? And uh, if, if there feels like there's a numbness in the fellowship with the Lord, then reconcile, reconcile it. If you've got something going on in your household, husband and wife, and all of a sudden things start getting cold, something's going on. You may not even know what it is, but there might be something. Mr. Guy, isn't that right? <laughs> just <not myself. laughs> 
Um, I love y'all because y'all are just sweethearts. I love that. <laughs> but, I mean, sometimes there's something that gets in there and uh, you just know that something's not right. That atmosphere is just not quite right. That response was a little abrupt and that little distant. And, and you have to pursue it. Let's deal with it. Let's get it out of the way so that we can be back in fellowship together. Amen? Would you turn with me to, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Thank you, Lord. There has been a passage the Lord put on my heart for the last two weeks that I have not been able to get off of my mind. It has been gnawing at me and gnawing at me and gnawing at me. And one of the whole reasons why we're here today is because the Lord wanted us to, to talk about that. And I've been up here preaching and, and following the course that the Lord had put on my heart. But that passage that I wanted to so desperately share with you that I felt like was the most important thing has not been, I have not been able to bring it to my mind the whole time I've been talking. The Holy Spirit just brought it back to me. So I was just saying, Lord, I know if you want me to go there, then you're going to bring it back. So I'm sorry, folks. I have done it again. If anything, your pastor is consistent. But I believe we're supposed to be in, uh, yes, we're supposed to be in, in 2 Corinthians. So <laughs> at least I caught it myself this time. Is that improvement? Maybe so. We'll, we'll take it. I'm going to claim it anyhow. Thank you, Lord. I, I'm just envisioning right now a, a messenger who has been called alongside a king. I hadn't this thought had not come to me until right now, but a messenger who had been called along a king. And there's two nations that potentially are at war. And it's a crucial, you know, we've got this Iran-USA thing going on right now. But just think about a king who has the potential of going to war and there's lives could be lost out on a battlefield, the destruction and all that could go along with it, the hurt and the pain and all the things that go along with that. So the king has a message that he wants to get over to that other king so that he can circumvent the war and, and, and keep that battle and that destruction from happening. Lives don't have to be lost. And that king tells his message, look, I want you to get this message through to that person right now. I need you to go. You're authorized. And that person takes off, and then they see something they need to take a selfie with along the road, or they see some type of something else, and they get distracted, and they see a place that they always wanted to go, and so they go in there, and then they find out that Marshall's has a sale, and they go into Marshall's, and and somehow just find a way to squander away the time that they did have to be able to get the message through. And because the messenger got sidetracked, all of a sudden the message never gets through in time. The most precious commodity we have is time. But it does get lost, doesn't it? This passage right here says, so... It says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. This person's more valuable than that person. This person has worth, and that person does not. This person's got talent and abilities, and since I don't see much of anything in that person over there, then we'll just focus on the person that's, you know, hey, they got money. This person doesn't. That person's got problems. I'm going to stay away from them. The scripture says here, we don't, we don't regard anybody 
We're believers. We're children of the Most High God. We don't regard people. We don't value people. We don't look at people the way the world looks at people. We don't... Lord Jesus. What color person in the world is God's favorite? God's not colorblind. He's not colorblind, but there is no, there should not be an issue in the church of Jesus Christ when it comes to color. Sunday morning, I know this is redundant and an old phrase, but Sunday morning should not be the most segregated day of the week. Everybody goes to school together, everybody goes to work together, and then Sunday people go, Shh, and they, they separate. Shouldn't be that way. God so loved the world. Everybody. God was wise enough not to... I don't mean to offend other countries in this, but God didn't send his son to Norway where they're blonde hair and blue eyes, and God didn't send... Uh, God sent his son to the Middle East, <laughs> right in the middle, skin color, hair, right in the middle. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. A little insignificant people, a small little group. That's what God said about them. It wasn't because you were some great nation or something like that. God chose you. God selected you. God loves everybody. We should love everybody. We shouldn't be categorizing and dividing. And, and let me just tell you, I, I'm just, since I'm on that subject, prejudice really is not a color thing. It may be in our representation here, but you travel around the world. You go to Africa, and in Kenya, there's 40-some tribes, I believe, in Kenya, and one tribe here hates this tribe here. Why? Well, because we've always hated each other. You go to India, you've got the caste system that there it's religiously divided, but you've got people from this province that don't like people from this province. People around the world find a way to be prejudiced against somebody and despise somebody from another. It is sinful human nature. And it shouldn't be in the church. So we don't regard, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once were regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Even from the world perspective, just think about those people who had been glad to receive the, the, the loaves and the fishes and they'd been glad to see the miracles and they'd been glad to be healed and touched by the Lord. And then it comes to the day of his crucifixion and what are they saying? crucify him why it's a sinful nature the pharisees that knew god's word but didn't have his heart walked around full of knowledge puffed up but yet they were so quick to point the finger and look for an accusation can we find one place where he stumbles. Let's find one thing that he's missing. There's still a Pharisee spirit in the church, too. You know, we've got brothers and sisters. Sometimes they struggle. Sometimes they make big mistakes. But, but aren't we sometimes in the church quick to look at someone and say, did you hear? Did you hear what they did? Oh, my goodness. I can't believe they ought to know better than that. Oh, my goodness. 
And instead of rushing to a brother or sister that's struggling and maybe had a, a drastic fall, rather than going there to restore and to come up alongside and lift them up out of that muddy pit that they fell into, that our, we're so quick to condemn and, 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 and push them away and point a finger, and even worse, talk about it. Shouldn't be that way. I don't mean to be, I'm not trying to be critical and negative. I, let's, what we have to do for the Lord is so vital and important. We can't, we can't let this go. But this scripture says that we need to look at people. It says, look, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new is come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You are not who you used to be. You're new in the Lord. But babies need to be given room to grow. They need to be given time. We need to be understanding, and we need to be there to nurture and strengthen them. <clears throat> All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave to us, <clears throat> the ministry of reconciliation. So let's, let's put this in perspective. What he's saying is that that vital message of reconciliation, that that lost and dying world out there, those people that are caught in the human trafficking and they're caught in, in all the things that go along with that and the people that are caught in the drug addiction and those people that are sitting in the high office of the government or, or sitting in our local government or, and, and maybe they're doing things that are devious or crooked or the business people that may be doing things on the side and things like that, that, that if anybody is supposed to be talking to them about how things could be or should be, who has the message? To whom did God entrust the message? Are, are the messengers afraid for fear of man that they're not willing to share what the great king has sent with regards to reconciliation and, and restoration and putting things in order? Are, are, are we afraid of them? Do we fear men more than we fear God? Are we allowing our lives to be controlled by fear instead of stepping into... I'm glad the disciples didn't do that. Did they fear for their lives? They gave their lives. Why are we any different? They walked with Jesus. They knew him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. He gave me the ministry of reconciliation. Would you just say that? He gave me the ministry of reconciliation when the Jehovah's Witness come knocking on your door. Or when the Mormons try to challenge you and, and you, I mean, I don't, do, you, do I know how to respond to them? You can tell them what God's done in your life. If, even if you don't know everything, you might learn something that next time you'll have the answer for. But at least this time you said something. You opened the door by talking to them about your personal relationship with Jesus and you offered to have prayer with them and they got to feel the anointing in your prayer. We've got a ministry of reconciliation, but we have to be willing to open our mouths. We have to be, have to be willing to do the good deed. We've got to be more than just busy about our life because our, 
Our days are numbered. We've only got so long to get this done. This is our small clock with regards to our life, but God's big clock is ticking too. How much time is there for the earth? How many people are we willing to let stumble off the abyss into hell? Because they never heard. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Sometimes our communication is more about counting their sins against them than it is about the fact that God has freed them from sin. And it says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. If the message is going to get out there, folks, don't look anywhere else. Don't expect someone else to do it. Don't hope that maybe someone else out there is doing it. Share the word of Jesus. Tell your story. Preach the good news. Go where no one else is willing to go. i tell you what's in my heart right now. One thing, and that is Venezuela. I don't know if you know what's going on in Venezuela, but they're in meltdown mode. They're in a crisis mode in that country. They don't, they, supplies, electricity, one of the potentially richest countries in the world with regards to their, with their oil supply, but because of the corruption of the government, and it's just complete meltdown in that country. And it's, there's human people, there's human people. <laughs> there's people suffering. You think God cares about that? It's just not about meeting their needs. They have been strangled with regards to the communication of, of the gospel in that country. And I may never go, but there needs to be believers that are ready to go when the doors open up for the gospel to get into that place afresh and to take hope. And I pray that, that God, I, I want to, I know a few people that have some opportunity, I mean, have uh, some resources. I want to push for them to get ready. Get ready for the open door. We've got to have that mindset in the body of Christ. Where is the open door for the gospel? What, what conversation has God brought in front of us? Where can we find any opportunity? If it's at the hospital or at the gas station or everywhere we go, if God gives you an opportunity to talk, I pray that God will loose our tongues, that we no longer be ensnared or trapped with a fear, but that God will loose our tongues to be able to share what God's given us. We've got to have an eye towards the mission of reaching the lost. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, listen to the message, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Don't lose sight of how desperate that message is. It's not just about living a better life. It's not about getting the Cadillac instead of the Corolla. It's about an eternity in the presence of Almighty God. Remember how important it was to God that he would send his own son to die. Jesus died for this.
The message is be reconciled to God. Come back. Be, be joined back together with God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this, this, you know that chapters and verses were divided years after the Bible was written. And in the New Testament, some of those only came about around 1500 A.D., okay? It's easy for us to reference things, easiest to find a passage because we've got chapters and verses, but sometimes there may be content that needs to go over. Look at what the very next verse, chapter 6, says. As God's fellow workers, do you know you're God's fellow worker? As God's fellow worker, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So how do you categorize that? Is it possible to receive God's grace in vain? What's God's grace? Is God's grace just unmerited favor? God's grace, I mean, we use the term unmerited favor, but it's not just unmerited favor. Along when we receive God's grace, God's grace is also the equipping to do the work of the kingdom. Don't receive the equipping to do the work of the kingdom in vain. And a, an, an atom is such a small little thing. You can't even see it with our naked eye. You can't even see it with a regular microscope. You can get down and they... I mean, they use the most powerful things to be able to see an atom. It would be so easy to, to disregard it because it seems so insignificant. But when you cause a reaction to an atom, we discovered how powerfully potent that reaction of one little atom could be because it causes a chain reaction and causes this huge destructive explosion. I just want to tell you this. The enemy, and I'm talking to you, every one of you, every one of us, the enemy would love to tell you that you are somehow insignificant, that other people have a message, that you don't have a message, that maybe because of some kind of flaw or failure that you had in your life that, that you don't really have a powerful story. But I'm going to tell you, if you will tell what God has done for you, God can create through your little story a chain reaction that you won't even imagine how powerful the, the end-time impact of what he does through your life would be. We're called to be ambassadors. We are stewards of the message of reconciliation. Now I need you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. This verse, this passage has been a burden to me for the last few weeks. But I feel like God wanted me to, to share it with us, so I'm, I'm not going to pass another week. I haven't been avoiding it. It was just the time, time frame for it. This message needs to go to the whole body of Christ, but I'm bringing it to Impact Church today, Okay. And I'm, 
I'm not, I'm not sharing this because I'm somehow perfect in this. I'm sharing it because it touches me just like it touches anybody else. So this might hurt, okay? It's going to hurt so good. The Lord kept bringing me back this passage from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift. I want you to think of the physical ramifications of that. Someone has traveled from a distant place in Israel and made their way to the temple of the Lord to come and present an offering before the Lord in the temple. What more important service? I mean, there were requirements that they do this. This was there were yearly requirements of times when they would have to come and present that offering in the presence of the Lord. If they didn't do that, they would be considered an outcast. If they weren't faithful in their offerings, they could be considered an outcast of Israel. But here our Lord Jesus speaking here at the Sermon on the Mount talks to them and says, look, if you've come here to present your offering and you all of a sudden there's a remembrance of something that comes to you that you've got a brother or sister or somebody that's got aught against you. It says in the King James, aught. Anything, something. They've got something against you. He says, leave your offering there. Well, well Lord, can't we just go ahead and do the offering and then we'll take care of that later? He said, no. Leave your offering. Leave your sacrifice and go be reconciled to your brother and then come back. Uh, that has just mesmerized me. It's just caught me. I've, I've, been, I've been wrapped up in this for the last two weeks. We're almost three years back at this church almost three years in in july that i've been pastoring <clears throat> and i have such expectancy of what god can accomplish through us what god can do the weightiness of his presence not just in these walls but walking with us into our community and going into our workplaces and what god can accomplish through and I've been praying about that. Lord, what do you need from us? And the Lord just kind of challenged me and said, we've got a problem with alt. There's a something. There, there's something that stands between the effectiveness of our sacrifice and the effectiveness of our message and God's potency and his power through us. And the Lord just really challenged me about healing wounds. Not just offenses, but taking offense. 
And what's, what is, I think, is beautiful about the Holy Spirit in this passage, it says if you're coming to present your, and all of a sudden you remember that, which to me is the work of the Holy Spirit saying, you know that there's something here between your brother or your sister or this person that needs to be set in order. And so the Holy Spirit comes alongside. It's like, don't, don't, don't overlook this. This needs to be put in place. The Holy Spirit's involved in the process of cleansing, purifying, putting things in order so that things can be restored and, and impact church. If you're a body, a person that's in the body of Christ right now, I just speak over to you and I just, I just want to say, don't neglect the ought. Don't neglect the something. Don't neglect the anything that someone might have against you and, and prayerfully consider your response. Harbored attitudes about circumstances or situations that divide and conquer. Things that cause you to have any kind of, I'm going to use the word prejudice again. I'm not thinking of it in, the, in, in the, the way of color. But anything against someone that is negative that somehow stifles what God wants to do in us becomes an obstacle. I have been praying in recent weeks. I'm like, Lord, if there's anything that is going on, anything that's a hindrance to what you need to do in me or in anything, in the way we're doing things, anything, Lord, would you remove that? Would you remove that, Lord? And there was a weightiness that hit me with that. And, and the Lord spoke to me. What about relationships? What, what if right here in our loving body, if there are, is alt. What if there's something among us where, yes, we can get along, we're okay with going to the fellowship meals, and we'll get in there and worship and everything like that, but are we harboring something against somebody? Is there something undone that needs to be repaired? Is there a brokenness or a wedge or a division that's breaking fellowship that we really can't walk together in unity because as long as that person will stay on the other side of the room, I'm okay. As long as they won't talk to me, as long as I don't have to deal with them, Let me just remind you, God said, leave your altar there at the step. I mean, let, leave your sacrifice there. Deal with that thing. Deal with it, then come back. Because the sacrifice without that reconciliation really just, just becomes a religious performance. Because he desires obedience more than he does sacrifice. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, to be reconciled and be restored with someone that you've got brokenness with. God knows that it's, it is the wedge that's keeping you from being all that you can be and it's keeping them from being all they can be and God wants to see the reconciliation. So, folks, it's worthy of our time. We already saw from this little meddling thing that I handed out to you today that our time's limited. We've only got so much time to deal with the things that cause division and separation. And God wants us to be ministers of reconciliation. Would you stand with me? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord God.
We cannot be agents of life while we're speaking ill over people. God can't accomplish all that he wants to do. He would not entrust a message to a messenger that is not going to deliver it well. So I want you to just take a moment. Would you bow your heads? Lord, when we embraced your provision at Calvary, it wasn't just about salvation. It was also about lordship, that we were recognizing you as king of kings and lord of lords, that everything in this earth is yours, dear God. That means you've got the right to decide what happens when it happens. You've got the right to reorder our lives, to tell us what to do and what not to do. And God, we don't just embrace your salvation, dear God. We embrace your lordship as well. So Holy Spirit, we invite you this day as a pastor over this church, dear God. I invite you to stir up our nest, dear God. Go through our closets. And Lord, would you reveal to us where we have ought against our brother or sister, where we have got something against them lord it may we may feel like we're justified in it lord or we may have done something to somebody else god we didn't intend for it to hurt them or sometimes we may have intended for it to hurt them but god if we know if your holy spirit points out to us something that needs to be set in order an attitude words spoken deeds done but something that causes division in your body dear god lord i pray that you would expose it in us dear god so that when we do come to sacrifice and to worship you, that it would really be in spirit and in truth. Now, God, the power that you have vested in this body, the authority that you've put in this body, the potential to be able to accomplish things in the kingdom of God, Lord, is immeasurable. God, with a, a babe freshly born into your kingdom, your God, you can accomplish great things. How much more with people who are seasoned in your word? God, I pray that you would release the anointing of your kingdom into and through the lives of your people. God, this week, use us for your glory. We pray for testimonies, for stories, your God, of people being set free, delivered, healed. God, we pray for stories of reconciliation and healing among broken hearts and lives, your God, severed relationships. God, I pray that you would bring restoration. God, our sole desire, the most important thing, your God, in all of our life, Lord, is that you be glorified. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. May it be unto us according to your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.